Hi, I'm Vicki Bolson, and welcome to Taking Care in Business, a podcast I created out of my passion for using business as a force for good. From environmental practices to social impacts and all that falls within the realm of corporate social responsibility, I'm always curious about how organizations are taking care in business. So hi, Alexis. How are you today? I'm well, Vicki. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. I don't usually start off by just immediately introducing the guest I um, in this way by saying hello and letting you sort of talk about yourself. I usually give an introduction, but I wanted to do it differently this time because I have a little story I want to I want to talk about. I happen to know um, the woman who told me I should talk with you. She's a coworker of mine. Um, she she is someone I really just admire. She is so call her our little homesteader. <laughs> She's got she is the go to for all things about the environment and how to live your life to be considerate for the environment and climate change. Um, she she just sort of blows me away and i mean she even has like a little thing at her desk where she puts her you know peels and her leftover food to take home and compost i mean she is she is walking the talk and she kind of reminds me of my oldest daughter like in the way she looks my daughter's a vegan as well and um i told her that one day and i told her she was asking questions and i said yeah, I mean, she woofed her way across the country. She goes, I woofed. And for those of you that are listening, I've talked about this before, but woofing is the worldwide organization for organic farming. Is that right? Gosh, it's been a while. That's the acronym, that's right? It. And so then it's, it, yeah, that, so the acronym is woofing. Um, but basically you go and you farm, farming being a kind of a loose term, um, in exchange for room and board. And she was like, I, I woofed. And she was telling me about that, but she didn't really go into much detail, but apparently she woofed with you. Mm -hmm. Yes. We worked on a, a sheep farm together for five months. Uh, and had you guys known each other before? I think she's told me this, but Morgan and I met on the, our first day of high school. Okay. Was, okay. I won't say how long ago, but <laughs> we've been friends for a while. Yeah. And when she, when she popped on the screen here um, for the first time looking at you, I, what was the first thing I said to you? <laughs> oh, that we obviously look like we've been friends. <laughs> yeah. You look like you'd be friends with Morgan. Um, she is just, she's so lovely. And I love that the whole woofing thing, but then she also works on the podcast. She edits our episodes. And so we were brainstorming one day, various guests, you know, I was sharing who I really want to have on the podcast. And she said, oh, you should have Alexis Goldsmith with Beyond Plastics. And I said, what's Beyond Plastics? And so I did a little research, never heard of the organization. I am blown away by it. Um, you guys are doing so much and I want um, everyone to hear about it and hear how they can get involved. So let's start by you telling me you're the national organizing director, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. And there's a, quite a team and an advisory council. And so what is the mission of mm -hmm. the of the Beyond Plastics organization? Well, the summary of our work is very simple. Our mission is to end plastic pollution. We are a national project based out of Bennington College, which is in Vermont. 
And our president is the former EPA Region 2 administrator who was appointed by Barack Obama. And she has more than 40 years of grassroots organizing experience. Her name is Judith Ank. So we do, um, we are basically focused on policies that will end the production and use of unnecessary plastic that becomes pollution. Wow. I mean, it's just such a simple mission, you know, uh, if only it were that simple, right? <laughs> it is pretty simple. The solution is to just stop making so much plastic, but getting there is incredibly complicated and uh, needs a lot of uh, people to be involved. Yeah. So um, I was scrolling through the website, just trying to, you know, glean everything that I could before we talked. And I did notice this one section um, which really piqued my interest that said, um, start or join a Beyond Plastics local group um, to make meaningful you know, impact and all that. So mm -hmm. do you have groups all over the country that are organizing for Beyond Plastics? We do. This is like our version of chapters or um, we also welcome existing organizations to join as affiliates, but the idea is that we need a non-hierarchical um, structure for grassroots organizing to end plastic pollution. So we saw that there was an, a desire amongst the public to work on the plastics problem, but there wasn't really an organization that was meeting that grassroots activism need. So, you know, there's organizations like 350, Extinction Rebellion, Sierra Club, that all have chapters, but they're more focused on climate change, which plastics is very, uh, the plastic problem is very well connected to climate change, but there wasn't any of those structures working on plastics directly. So we launched this chapters program, which we call the local groups and affiliates. And the idea is that anybody can start a local group or join as an affiliate and we'll give you grassroots organizer training which I lead with my colleagues. We teach people how to do things like, you know, the simpler things like petitions and sign on letters, but also coalition building, um, how to hold a news conference, how to hold a rally, how to lobby legislators to pass laws. Um, and we, we are basically guiding a national campaign that this year that we're calling Plastic is Hazardous and all of our local groups across the country are kind of participating in this. And um, we're up to more than 85 now. And so I think really that just goes to show how, how much the public realizes that plastic pollution is a problem and they wanna feel empowered to do something about it. So 85 uh, organized groups throughout the country. Mm -hmm. okay. groups, there and yep. groups and affiliates. Okay. And I think I understand the distinction. So if you're a, a group that's newly formed of citizens, that's like a group and the affiliates is maybe another organization that's loosely tied to plastic uh, um, recycling and solutions that mm -hmm. becomes an affiliate sort of like member and can mm -hmm. also uh, use your toolkit and your your grassroots training to activate, basically. Yep, exactly. Okay, okay. Is there one in Indianapolis? 
we don't have one in Indianapolis. So if anybody is listening, um, we'd love you to start one. Hey, and yeah. uh, I can give you my email if you want to know how to, how to get started. Okay, well, anybody, anywhere, um, if you're curious, if there's one in your city, town, county, state, whatever, they can reach out to to Alexis um, and and ask to join or to start one. I don't know, you know, maybe Morgan and I will get together and <laughs> figure something out here. I I think I understand that it is a big problem. I. I, I still can't believe how many people will go and just buy a case of black, plastic bottled water. It mm -hmm. just blows me away. I mean, it's just, it's like such a simple thing to, you know, change. Um, it makes no sense to me, you know? Um, but I know it goes so much deeper than that, that it's like so many plastics. And I, I was really touched by the reusable meals on wheels for the planet campaign that you're doing. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming I would like you to talk about that, but I also am wondering if this particular sort of initiative is similar to, um, I mean, are you doing like little projects like this with different, you know, other affiliate organizations or nonprofit organizations or whatever um, to kind of tackle a little bit, a little niche, you know, at a time? Well, I'll talk a little bit more about what our focus is in terms of organizing. So the individual action, as you mentioned, the, like the reusable water bottle that you just held up is very important and a very important part of the puzzle, particularly for protecting your own health because um, bottled water in plastic bottles contains microplastics and those microplastics have toxic chemicals. And when you ingest the microplastics, you're exposed to those chemicals they can be passed through breast smoke, they can be passed through the placenta. So it's very important to be aware that you can ingest plastic and it can have a negative impact on your health. But what our, where our organizing focuses on is, is policy change. So we're looking at the systems that are driving plastic pollution and the reason why we have so much plastic packaging flooded in the marketplace. So the individual consumer can make make good choices to the best possible extent that they're able, but that doesn't really change how much plastic is actually being pumped into the market and eventually winding up in the environment and landfills and incinerators. It's really the companies that are making these products and the fossil fuel industry that is turning uh, fossil fuels into plastics in the first place uh, that are responsible for the plastic pollution crisis. So our local groups and affiliates are really focused on policy change and systems change. We have bills to, you know, simple bills like banning plastic bags, skip the stuff bills, which is like um, uh, a law that says when you order takeout, you can refuse the cutlery if you don't need it. I mean, that's a very simple policy that the groups can work on all the way up to really complicated policies we're working on like extended producer responsibility for packaging and chemical recycling bills, which I would love to talk about because there's one in the Indiana legislature right now. But the Meals on Wheels project is another example of a systems change. So this is a community campaign that people can do um, because we recognize that the US has a very complicated and frankly polarized political landscape right now 
And it might not be feasible for people to pass a policy where they live so they can work on a community campaign where they reach out to their local Meals on Wheels and talk to them about switching the containers that they're using for meals to reusables. So most Meals on Wheels programs are using a single use black plastic uh, meal containers with a plastic film over it. And they can replace those with reusable containers that they just wash and reuse. And it saves them a lot of money, these Meals on Wheels programs. A, a medium-sized program that's serving 500 meals a day, for example, can save more than $40,000 a year with reusable containers. But it's also saving mountains and mountains of plastic waste from going to landfills in the environment. And seniors just like it better because they're getting real dishes you know, for their meals that they depend on for their nutrition. So that's just, you know, one example of a systems wide change that campaign that we want, that we need grassroots organizers to pick up in their own communities. Yeah, no, it's, it's brilliant. I, it just seems like it's such an easy change for a $40,000 cost savings. It's not easy. Um, Any change is hard, but there are Meals on Wheels programs that are doing it um, in the U.S. and they love it and they save so much money on it. So um, we wrote a whole guide for how to do it. It's on our website, beyondplastics.org. Um, and if you're you know, a volunteer with Meals on Wheels or you have contacts there, or if you're just a concerned resident, you know, send them that, send your Meals on Wheels program that guide and say, um, hey, you should consider this reusable yeah. containers. Yeah, no, no, that's something that's um, seems like, you know, pretty simple to do, right? To advocate for it and to to make them, maybe just make them aware of it um, and give them the tools to to do it, I'm sure. So that guide probably includes suggestions on how they can um, staff it because it's going to change some things, right? They're going to have to do the collection and the washing mm-hmm. and so it is going to, I see what you're saying about the systems change and mm-hmm. and maybe the needs for the kinds of volunteers they get and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But we do at Bolson Group, my company, we do, we choose a pro bono client every year and um, be kind of interesting to see if we could, you know, pair up with Meals on Wheels and try to, you know, partner with them on making sure that this, this at least can, can get executed in the Indiana area or Indianapolis or whatever. I don't mm-hmm. know how Mills works. I don't know if it's like, are there, um, are they usually by um, county, you know, and, and, and intermittent counties throughout states? They're very decentralized. So you, it's usually by the county because the funds are distributed uh, usually by the county office of the aging or whatever wherever it's called in that particular state um the funds come from the older americans act and uh, there's also like um what's it called an unofficial meals on wheels that are just like run out of church basements you know that are just helping their neighbors so some of them are affiliated with Meals on Wheels America, but if you're looking for yours, I would contact your county office of the aging to see who your Meals on Wheels program is. Mm-hmm. What other programs or systems change activities do you have in the works? 
Well, we I have mean, I by a lot, <laughs> but maybe you could you could you could talk about a you know a couple that maybe there's some name recognition with the organization or something. Well, right now we have a um, petition to the EPA to ban vinyl chloride. So most people hopefully will have seen the horrible rail accident in East Palestine, Ohio, um, that released toxic chemicals into the air. Um, vinyl chloride was burned in that incident and vinyl chloride is only used to make plastics. It's a very toxic chemical and it's used to make polyvinyl chloride, which is used for food packaging, but also shower curtains and drinking water pipes. But it's toxic. And these accidents are just one example of the problems with plastic that you don't see. So I think a lot of people are aware of plastic pollution in the ocean and waterways, um, but they might not be aware of the problems that come from production, from the extraction of the fossil fuels and the chemical manufacturing. A lot of fence line communities in the US are, are seriously harmed by the production of plastic. And so we're calling on the EPA to ban vinyl chloride. And that petition is also on our website at beyondplastics.org. And then we are working right now in New York, where I live. So I'm from Indiana, but I live in New York now. And um, we are working to pass a bill here called the Packaging Reduction and Recycling Act. This bill would um, require companies like Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Nestle, who has headquarters in Indianapolis. These are some of the biggest plastic polluters in the world. And this bill would require them to reduce their packaging by 50%. The remaining packaging would have to be reusable and recyclable. The uh, bill requires them to get toxic chemicals out of packaging, and it requires them to pay for the cleanup of their packaging. So taxpayers right now pay for all the waste management of the packaging that's put into the marketplace. Even if you don't choose to buy that those products with that packaging, you're still paying for the collection, the recycling, the incineration, the sorting, all that. So this bill requires polluters to pay, pay for that. And we have a rally on May 2nd that we're mobilizing around in Albany. We're getting people to meet with their legislators. And our goal is to get them, these legislators to co-sponsor the bill. And then, you know, across the country, our local groups and affiliates are building campaigns around policy. Um, things like plastic bag bans, get the stuff that I mentioned. Sometimes, in some cases, EPR, we do work closely with organizations on, sorry, extended producer responsibility um, and chemical recycling. So a lot of that, a lot of my work is policy, is policy and organizing. What What did you go to? What was your degree in? What did you study? How did you get interested in this? Um, I. Uh, my alma mater is Indiana University Bloomington. I studied English and dietetics, <laughs> so nothing related to what I'm doing now, but I actually got started organizing um, after I woofed with Morgan. I uh, worked at a radio station, at an independent radio station in the New York Capital District called the Sanctuary for Independent Media, and I basically became a journalist there and I produced a news program for the community. And while I was in that job, I 
I learned that there was a hazardous waste incinerator just one mile upwind from the radio station. So a few volunteers and I would meet in the basement of the station after the show every Wednesday. And we just started organizing on, on how to shut this incinerator down. Well, one, how to get people to know about it because nobody knew what it was, let alone that it was one of the most toxic incinerators in the country. And um, I got my organizing chops that way. And then Beyond Plastics came and, and offered me a job and the rest is, is history. So you don't need a fancy degree to be a grassroots organizer. Anybody could do this. It just, you, you need a mentor or somebody to teach you how to do it. And that's kind of what I do now in my job. Oh, that's so cool. So you, you got it shut down and then they came and recruited you because they were so impressed by you. It's not shut down yet. We've been at it for four years now. Um, the, the, a, the uh, state environmental agencies is, delaying and there's there's a lot of politics around it um but we're focused you know on the on the people that live right next to this incinerator right. so we never forget them and we have to just keep lifting up their voices and saying this system is not acceptable because it relies on sacrificing people you know, to keep incinerators running. So we have at Beyond Plastics, we have a goal of shutting down all the waste incinerators in New York. And the only way we're going to get there is with waste reduction. Right. Wow. That's so, so interesting. So cool that, you know, that's the direction your, your passion went. Were you like, obviously something, you know, ruffled your feathers when you heard about this incinerator you must have been already sort of a, a little bit of a right fighter interested in the climate and it just sort of all gelled together I'm thinking for you to to put your passion into that specific um, localized you know issue that you were so passionate about well, it's affecting me too. And, and we were all breathing what they burn and, and people are still breathing what they burn. Wow. That's so, just, this is crazy. It makes you wonder about things, you know? Oh my gosh. It, 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 well, good for you. I bet those people are so grateful for you. I really hope that politics aside that you get it shut down. I do. Thank you. you. Do, you <laughs> do you feel it's going to happen? Is it imminent? It's not imminent, but I do feel confident that we will um, because we are well organized and we have people on our side. Um, our goal is really to shut it down. We need a just job transition for the 70 workers who are at that plant um, to get, because they're, they're getting well-paid jobs right now and, and they don't want to lose their jobs. We don't want them to lose their jobs. So we need, we need our leaders to figure out to transition the jobs as well um, while making rep not reparations but while prioritizing the environmental justice communities around this facility and we need to figure out what we're going to do with our waste because burning it is just not acceptable um, because of how toxic burning it is and um, bringing it back to plastics maybe it would be helpful for the audience to kind of set an image of their mind of just where we're at with the plastic pollution crisis right now. So plastics are made from fossil fuels, as I mentioned, and plastic is the fossil fuel industry's plan B. 
Um, they can see the writing on the wall that with climate change, we need to stop burning fossil fuels. So they're looking to plastics and petrochemicals to maintain the product markets. Um, and a ethane cracker just opened in Manaka, Pennsylvania, which is a plastic production facility. It makes polyethylene out of ethane gas, which is a fracked gas. And that facility can produce 100 rail cars every day of nurdles, which are tiny plastic pellets that are used to make plastic bags and all kinds of things. Hmm. And it's all to make single use packaging. And big plastic, which is what we call all the petrochemical industries that are in on this, wants to build four more of those facilities in the Ohio River Valley. And they also have plans for Texas and Louisiana. So plastic production is expanding very quickly um, in the United States. And that's why we need policies to actually say, hold on, this will be catastrophic for the environment if we continue to produce plastic at this rate, um, because it's estimated that a third of all plastic winds up in the environment. There's no good way to manage plastic waste. It, it never biodegrades. So using it for a single use purpose just is, doesn't make any sense. And the, the pl big plastic likes to say, well, we just need to manage it better. We need to recycle it better, but that's um, never going to happen because plastics is, plastic is not recyclable. And I could, I could, um, I could dispel that myth um, also. So, you know, if we don't get laws to, to reduce plastics, we're looking at quadrupling of plastic pollution in waterways. We're looking at more and more of plastic. I mean, there's plastic in the air, in the water, in our food, microplastics from plastic in the environment that's breaking down. Not to mention all of the fence line communities where plastic is produced, where it's dumped, where it's shipped, who have to, who are marginalized and have to deal with all of the pollution from plastic. But you don't really see that, you know, when you buy a bottle of water and it's not the consumer's fault. Again, it's, it's um, the production end is the problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. It's, you really give a lot of food for thought there. Um, and it's everything you're saying makes so much sense, you know, and I don't know, I guess I feel a little bit ignorant, not knowing everything you've just shared, you know, it just makes me want to, I don't know, just read a few books to really get like in the know and like, understand like the words to use even right it's mm -hmm. some of it seems like there was something you just said a second ago where I felt like well that's a semantic thing oh oh I know what it is it's like when when they say oh you just need to recycle better well mm -hmm. that's that's just I don't know it's like gaslighting right it's like saying mm -hmm. oh you we you know because it's possible well you're mm -hmm. just saying something that isn't even possible so like what you're saying isn't even you know, it, it, it has no place to be said, you know, and I think that well, if, if you really want to learn more and all of your listeners here, um, my our president, Judith Ang, teaches a course, a seven week course. It's one night a week for two hours. It's called the Beyond Plastic Pollution course, and it's on our website at beyondplastics.org slash events. But if you thought this interview was interesting, you will find you will come away from that course like what's the movie where he puts on the glasses and he can see all the propaganda everywhere? Oh, um, yeah, that? Um, 
oh, your God. eyes will be opened yeah yeah by that course um but not only that you'll you'll get the tools from that course to to feel empowered to organize and do something about it so our goal isn't to scare people we want people to feel like they can do something about it right and not feel hopeless like it's just mm -hmm. you know uh, what am I, what kind of an impact am I going to make? Well, that's interesting. There's a lot of resources available on your website. Um, so, okay, let's just recap on a couple things as we sign off. People can go to the website and they can sign up for this course if they're really wanting to know what they're talking about and feel empowered. Um, they can start or join a local group. And you're fine if they reach out to you to find out if there's one in their area um, or to just get more information on that. Um, and then there's also a way, because I'm assuming you need donations, like that would be helpful and appreciated. We love donations. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, that'd be nice. Um, and then there's just, there's great blogs. I've read a couple of them, articles that help um, to understand Um do you mind if we give out your email address or would you prefer? Okay. Okay. Nope, that's great. Um, what is your email address? It's just my name, Alexis Goldsmith at Bennington.edu. Okay. At Bennington.edu. Okay. And it's Alexis, just like it sounds, the mm -hmm. typical spelling and Goldsmith, just like it sounds exactly. at Bennington.edu. Mm -hmm. And the website is beyondplastics.org. Don't get it confused with Beyond Plastic because that's a company that creates reusable products out of plastic <laughs> because mm -hmm. I ended up there at one point when I only put Beyond Plastic in, which, you know, good for them, but uh, you know, let's go to the right place. Um, but this has been, this has been really great, really helpful, given me a lot to think about. And I think I appreciate it. And um, just want to mention that Indiana bill here in the last minute, Senate bill 472. This is an advanced recycling bill. And this bill essentially promotes technologies called chemical or advanced recycling, but they're not recycling. They're turning plastic waste into fuel to be burned. And this is very problematic for three reasons. One, that's not recycling, that's burning plastic waste. Two, it's very toxic. It's creating new sources of air pollution, generating hazardous waste, and also they use a lot of fossil fuels and toxic chemicals for the processes. But three, it's giving the illusion that the legislature is doing something about plastic pollution to address it, but it's actually a false solution and it's not going to reduce plastic pollution overall. So um, this bill is very problematic and it's part of a larger scheme by big, big plastic in the US to kind of greenwash recycling to make people feel like it's okay and we don't need to ban single use plastics. So Senate Bill 472 has apparently headed to Holcomb's desk as of March 21st. So I would recommend listeners reach out to Governor Holcomb and tell him to veto this bill for the three reasons that I just stated. No, that, thanks for sharing that. That is crazy stuff. That is crazy stuff. That makes me so mad. Alexis, I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Vicki. Taking Care in Business is hosted by Vicki Bolson and is co-produced by me, Morgan Hartman and Addie Miller. 
Together, we're all part of the team here at Bolson Group. If you enjoyed today's episode and you'd like to help support our show, please follow and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For the latest news and updates, be sure to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Taking Care in Biz, that's biz with a Z, or by going to our website at takingcareinbusiness.com. If you have any questions, comments, or have a guest suggestion, you can email us at info at takingcareinbusiness.com. Thank you for joining us today and stay tuned for our next episode to learn more about using business as a force for good.